This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. What do we got? Well, today we're going to take a look at something that probably everyone's been to at some point in their lives, one way or another, somewhere, right? And we're going to look at the history of theme parks in the United States. We'll take a look at where they originated, particularly in Europe, and how they influenced, but really we're going to look at them mostly here in the United States, how theme parks evolved and became what they are today. You said something very interesting because you used the word theme park. So when I was doing research for this, I realized like fun fair, carnival, amusement park, theme park are not necessarily all the same thing. No, they're different. They come from different origins, different places, different yeah, ideas. Yeah, see, I didn't know that. I was just like theme park, amusement park, same thing. It's like not necessarily, no. Yeah, um, people get upset too. I was reading that too. Like there's like enthusiasts on both sides. I'm like, no, this is a theme park. This is an amusement park. There's a difference. Well, we'll piss someone off in this podcast. That's what we do. That's fine. That's fine. I shouldn't. That was was vulgar language. I apologize. (laughs) We'll anger someone at this podcast. Someone will get slightly upset by somebody. Yeah, because we'll say something wrong, probably. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's not. This is not necessarily a topic we teach in class, but it's still a historical topic, like everything else. So uh, we thought we would tackle it, considering it is summer and we needed something lighthearted. And Tom, you threw this out. And I'm like, let's do it. Plus, I was at Universal Studios Hollywood like four days ago, so I could contribute a little bit more to this, you know, theme park thing. The idea, yes. Yes. So just so we know, fun fairs and carnivals are different from amusement parks and theme parks due to the fact that they are they travel. not. Sta- yeah, they're travel. They're not stationary. They're not mm-hmm. built to last long or, you know, in one particular um, place. So an amusement park is a park that features various attractions. We know yeah. that rides, games, so on and so forth. Um, that's meant to entertain. And that's evolved. The amusement park has evolved a lot. And we'll talk about that later on when we talk about these pleasure gardens and picnic areas and how that's evolved to what we know today really as, as a theme park, which is a type of amusement park that is structured and it structures entire attraction around a central theme. And oftentimes um, there's different areas within that theme. So that's why when you go to Disney World, you know, it has like different, um, what do you call it? Themed sections within the main theme of Disney. Like the first uh, Disneyland that was open, that opened in California in 1955 had four themed sections within the main theme of being Disneyland. First one was Frontierland, Tomorrowland, Adventureland, and Fantasyland. You're like skipping um, all the way to Disney already. Well, no, but I'm just saying overall, like just kind of, well, I <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah. You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like just kind of a theme. Exactly. So like amusement park has rides meant to entertain um, attractions and rides. A theme park is a type of amusement park that bases itself around one specific theme versus a fun fair or a carnival is like a quasi amusement park, but it is temporary and mobile. That's Except for, I mean, everyone's seen those. Everyone's seen those rides. You kind of like question yourself, should I go on this? Like, you know, like, <laughs> Plenty of times. They, they just, they just, the guy just kind of hand tightened this uh, together, like maybe 20 minutes ago. And you laugh, like, but I mean, we went to, uh, we were in Kentucky with the boys and we went to this theme slash amusement park. Um, it looked like a carnival, but it was definitely there for a long time and it's probably still there. And we had a blast, but I, I think we had a blast because it was so unsafe. <laughs> like yeah, I'm sure to the extent they're like, do not take your, when you're going down this, you know, this like slide where you're in this like rolly thing that has this like thing you pull towards you to slow down and forward to go fast and afford little wheels. I don't know what it's called, 
but it goes down like as if you were like going in a tube and it goes pretty fast but it goes like remember i mean you're you're old enough to remember action park here in jersey well yes there, I do remember. my parents never let me go there's documentaries on that place i mean i remember watching yeah. it not too long ago i remember going there i was a kid like they've changed it since then but that place was it was a, it was just a it was a walk of bruise walking yeah. bl- bloodbath I and mean, you would go there to see people bleeding everywhere like i was surprised as it was open as as that was as long yeah. as it was so, i remember those yeah. commercial stuff but like in kentucky the guy was like if you take your hand out you're gonna cut it off so don't and i'm like boys you, you hear this don't do that <laughs> it was yeah, Landon like got a bloody lip because we went in bumper cars, but there's absolutely no padding whatsoever in <laughs> bumper cars. Anyway, fun times. Making so, memories. Amu- indeed. So amusement parks evolves from um, essentially Europe, right? Fairs, pleasure gardens, picnic pleasure areas. Gardens. So, yeah, so what are these? What are these pleasure gardens? They're basically, they were resort grounds, right? A lot of times they're operated by like inns or taverns. They actually date back all the way to the 1550s, believe it or not. 1550s, yep. Yeah, 1550s. And they, they were different sizes, different diversity. Um, Copenhagen has two of the oldest permanent parks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and things like that. You have ones in London's. And there's basically just places where um, people would go and they would have these festivals, like you were saying, you might have weddings and stuff there. Um, one, They eventually evolved to uh, Munich's annual Oktoberfest, right? Mm-hmm. The carnival with carousels to accompany the tents, the brewery serving food and beer. And, and these were pot- steam powered carousels, by the yes, way. Yes. Yeah. Like this was not a healthy thing. These <laughs> were like elaborate. Yeah. No, they're yeah. not, not going to be ones that survive. But they were basically yeah. just open air arena, open air places, these parks where um, people would come usually after work and they would um, place people to relax. That's what it was looked at. It was like, oh, yeah, it was away from the city. It was, a, it was a way to get out of the city relax after work or on the weekends and then also a place to um bring their families which would be inexpensive that was a big thing yep. too we think of theme parks now like disneyland that's an expense like you know yeah, but, yeah. Um, back when they were originally there it was supposed to, this was an inexpensive way to um get entertainment food for you and your family and they were basically themed mostly for families these were not Absolutely. like being for single men and stuff like that. these were for families yeah, and they weren't really super elaborate. Uh, like you mentioned, this was the idea of get out of the city and go into the country. And you had um, different, like there, uh, one thing I looked at, this one was uh, some gardens in 1600s London. And one of the top attractions was tightrope walkers. And there was hot air balloon ascents, uh, concerts, fireworks that provided amusement. Like this was more like, hey, chill, eat a picnic. Um, maybe if you're lucky, some of these gardens had like a little creek and you could go on a little boat. Very much kind of what you see in a lot of like county parks today. But this was the precursor because a lot of these also, you, you had the site, you had to pay an admission fee um, to get into these. So this kind of starts that idea of, all right, like, and then at the end at night, there was usually, there would usually be a, some kind They're of public firework display. Fireworks or something like that. Yeah, that was like yep, the dancing finale. Or so on yeah. Um, so the real idea of like a fixed park for amusement was really further developed. Like the 2.0 version of this was because of uh, world fairs. Yeah, the Chicago World Fair was probably one of the big ones in 1893. Yes, I, that was the one that had like a whole section designed. Yeah, because they were designed basically to draw in crowds. Yep. You had shows, rides, concessions, and each attraction by itself was supposed to like boost the interest in other shows. So yep. you come to one, you see this, and then, oh, hey, another one, start, like a show would start at 5.30, other show would start at 6. And you just go from one to the other, and you'd have concessions sent in between. And then you'd say, all right, go ride the Ferris wheel, go ride these sorts of things. And it brought in Which a lot is the of first, first metal Ferris wheel, we should mention. Because there was Ferris wheels before this that were wooden and much smaller. The original Ferris wheel, designed by the guy that 
Ferris, I was the last name, a world's a Columbian exposition um, in Chicago in 1893. It was humongous. I mean, if you guys look this up, this was, you know, the reason for it is because they try to outdo the world exposition from years prior, which was done in France, which is when the Eiffel Tower was built for that exposition. And they're like, wow, look at us. We have this one particular structure that we could define this expo- world exposition by. So in the United States, um, our structure by which we defined it was this humongous Ferris wheel. Also sometimes referred to by Chicago wheel because of that reason. Yeah, it was, I've heard that too. It was designed by George Washington Gale Ferris. Um, and it was the centerpiece of the world's Columbian exposition in Chicago. It did not survive. No, but no, it was the, it was the gonna, first like real Ferris wheel. not going to survive that more that much. So... As you mentioned, yeah, there's so many shows there. You could at this exposition, you could literally go from like France. Think of like even like when you're in Disney now, and there's like theme things. Like you could be on the street in France, and you keep on walking a little bit more, and now you're in the street in Egypt, and now you walk a little bit more. That was this idea here. Except at this exposition, they actually brought brought like legitimate people from these areas around the world. So like when you went to India at this exposition, you were like in India. You had you were surrounded by people that were from India and the customs and so on and so forth. But to kind of the in-between part, that's when you have, well, what do we do with all these masses? And that's when you have this idea of, all right, well, let's give them something to do for these visitors. And that's when you have these these rides. And at the same time, um, besides the first steel Ferris wheel, you have... Uh, little concession stands and and penny arcades and games of chance and how strong are you like all of that really starts entertainment entertainment in a way for people to way for the owners to make money that's what it's supposed to be it's a business this is i think amusement park is also one reason why they probably become so big here in the u.s is because they're they're a really great example of capitalism absolutely um so but these are temporary i mean we have to mention that like these world expositions they happen they might last a year or so, yeah. But yeah, and then that's it. And then they take it apart. So that's when we start to really get into something that becomes a little bit more grounded, I guess, right? And this is concurrent, I think, based on what I research, at least, with just modern trolleys. The idea of bringing people to different resorts. One of them, for example, I mean, obviously the most popular one, and we're going to get into that was Connie Island um, in Brooklyn, but also... When you start thinking of piers near the shore, such as uh, Atlantic City, for example, it was the idea of let's create these trolleys that could bring the masses to where they would want to go to be entertained. Now, um, the one I mean, there's there's quite a few of these seaside attractions that have this modern quasi modern, I guess, Ferris wheel and the early beginnings of a roller coaster, which we're going to get into a little bit. But I think that the one, the main one that we should get into would be the Coney Island, right? Yeah, well, Coney Island is probably, I mean, I don't, it's one of the big first permanent ones, right? Particularly yep. in the United States. And when it comes out, like you said, it, it the trick to getting people there was with the um, Coney Island Railroad yep. and all the, the trolleys and stuff like that to get back. And they have their first carousel installed in the 1870s. They have their first um, roller coaster, the Switchback Railway in 1884. It becomes permanent also in the 1880s is when it's like, strictly going to be there um yep. it's that's it it's there it's not going anywhere and then it's just going to if you want to go on rides one place you can go on rides is you go to coney island and they have the real the trolley system and the railroad system to basically get people there and that was one way that people could get there and that was yeah and it said like 
became a destination. You would go there, you would go get your hot dogs or Nathan's because you're obviously if you watched the Nathan's hot dog eating contest yep. and all that other stuff. So that was like that was like the big thing. It was a destination. What do you do? You go to Coney Island, you ride some roller coasters, you go on the Ferris wheel, you eat a hot dog. And Coney Island was is like the first real big amusement park in the United States. Uh, the Blackpool Pleasure Beach was the first amusement park in England that opened in 1896. But for the United States, Coney Island is the one. By 1910, the attendance on, per day would reach a million people. And this is, you know, this is 1910. And they were excited to just ride a carousel in, in the grand scheme of things. Oh, it was a, it was a big deal. Yeah. Yep. Just anything like that. Because all these people never see stuff like that. And it was, a, it was still like a new, new attraction, a new idea. One thing I'm sure you came across this when you're doing your research uh, the steep staple steeple chase park, which was the very first of the three major amusement parks that was that was created at Coney Island, yeah. um, it was open. It opened in 1897, and the issue with all these first ones, it, it had like a free circus, had a funny place, flying turns, uh, Ferris wheel, the thing, yeah, the freak show. Um, the flying turns was the name of the roller coaster. This was like the thing to do at Coney Island. Except most of these things were built from wood, which made this a very dangerous place in a grand Especially over the years, because it lasted for 67 years, I saw, yeah. Yep. Yeah, but they kept on having to rebuild the dang thing because yeah, yeah, it, it kept, them burning, it kept them burning down, yeah. It had a Ferris wheel, a ride called Trip to the Moon, which was like a miniature railroad. I mean, this was well, probably what we would consider today to be like carnival rides. But at the time, this was way out of way out of you know anything people were used to. You had uh, blowhole theaters allowed spectators to watch as air vents blew up unsuspecting female guest skirts. I saw that and I was like, "What? Like that makes uh, that's a that's an attraction at again." This is eighteen nineties. Anyway, fire destroyed. Yeah, go ahead. Ahead. No, no, no I'm saying fire destroyed it, most it, of it. Yeah. Park in nineteen um nineteen oh seven. So they basically just rebuilt it and made it bigger. And it stayed in operation until 1960s. Yeah, now uh, they tore it down. I'm not going to tell detail of it. It's a, a minor league baseball stadium now. I really? And um, the only thing that's still there is the parachute jump, which is actually still there. It's actually recognized as a um, historical place in 1989. Really? So the, the, it basically was like um, you'd go in there and they would strap it to a parachute. You'd, kinda like, you'd be hooked onto like a cord, too, and they'd jump off. Hmm. <laughs> so think of those ones like parachute drops that they have in other amusement parks, only... You're just, they're just really, you're just really going. But anyway. <laughs> and the safety aspect of these things. They didn't really have that back then. No, it would have never have, you know, passed the uh, liability of the ones today. But you know what always freaks me out? Like every time I'm on a roller coaster of any kind or a ride, I'm always afraid that it's going to get stuck and I'm going to be like upside down for I've seen that. I've never been on it, but I've seen rides that that have happened, um, particularly like down the shore. I know one where like the, the wheel of the roller coaster like popped off and bent underneath the track and people were stuck upside down and we like yeah. just got off like maybe like two hours like oh no that's that's great i mean they got the people out pretty quick but it was still just like wow you know so it's, it's, my, like, my, put in place. it's my son and my wife were on the harry potter ride a couple of days ago and um universal hollywood and that's what happened they got stuck but luckily for them they were kind of just sitting but like the few people ahead of them were like upside down it, it was pretty intense i'm like yeah no that's not my jam but uh, the second Coney Island, again, this is the birth of like their first real amusement um, park. Something All right. Like so Coney Island is dreamland. Um, it only operated for seven years, 1904 and 1911. It was like super modern. It was the second of the parks at Coney Island. However, the reason it only operated for seven years is because it burned down. Um, 
it had a labyrinth of unusual rides, attractions. Uh, it said that it, the one big attraction of all of it, which is today, it's like that's not an attraction, was the fact that the whole site was like a labyrinth of just millions of electric light bulbs. Oh, I've seen that one. Yeah. Which was like, what? Like, there's all this light. And people went there and just like stood to look at this electricity. And and today, obviously, that's we take that for granted. But at the same time, I guess that was cool. The Dreamland also could take a gondola. And it was like a recreation of can- uh, Canals of Venice, which is really, that was like the top attraction. You had these brave gusts of refrigerated air. Um, during a train ride through the mountains of Switzerland. So you could like take a little tiny like mock train and they would blow this refrigerated air at you so you could be like in Switzerland. Um, there was Japanese tea houses where you could have tea. They had a disaster spe- a spectacle that I thought was really interesting. You could watch it twice a day. There was a show, kind of like you would have a show today. And again, this is like 1905. You The one disaster show that was the best-selling show was... Actors would fight under a real fire in like this mock six-story tenement building. You would pay to see that, which was considered, you know, awesome. Um, freak shows, wild animals, imported Somali warriors and Eskimos that they were literally brought over so you could look at them uh, nuts in you know in today's standards. The one thing that I saw, did you see this for Dreamland, which I thought was kind of odd? It was an unusual offering. It was an exhibit where visitors could observe premature babies being kept alive using incubators. So they had to deal with a local hospital. And incubators were very new at the time. And it was so new technology. Yeah, it was considered untested new technology. But you could literally go and watch infants like sit in these incubators because and that was considered an attraction. Um, Obviously, the, the fire you know, destroyed the whole thing in 1911. Ironically, did they, though, did they get the babies out before the fire. Yeah, they did. They did. Okay, that's, that's important. Yeah, that's a good question, right? Ironically, the fire started at a ride called Hellgate, which is kind of interesting. That's like a movie right there. That's yeah, a horror movie, right? It's called Hellgate. That like these demons burning down roller coasters with babies and in incubators. Uh, that's, I thought that was an odd ride. And then the last one of, um, Coney Island that was like really known at the time. Last theme park was the Luna Park. Um, yes, I saw Luna Park. That one was consistent. I mean, it's considered to be like just this eye popping, super illuminated towers, right? And they said it was like 250 light bulbs, which even like topped the last one, the Dreamland. This was like the one. And this one also was very like high concept and transported visitors to like 2000 leagues under the sea um, to the North pole surface of the moon. Like it was very thematic and it had these like really elaborate. I can't only imagine what this looked like. I mean, this was probably a bunch of like puppets and paintings, right? I mean, what it's 1903. Yeah. yeah so it's got a, well, yeah, I mean, it's going to be right? those puppets that we see today look, that we would say look kind of creepy. Like if you go to uh, which is yeah. <laughs> that like ride you... always gets stuck in my head, but like, it's a small world after all. When yeah. you go to Disney, how does it go again? <laughs> All right, funny, funny, funny. Stop it. That was good. I sounded so good. Um, Also, in Luna Park, you could go to like Sheets of Delhi and you could literally ride an elephant, which is considered one of the top rides. And then it would be all these dancing girls that were shipped from India and you could like walk through it. There was also mock Italy, Japan, Ireland. You could watch War of the Worlds uh, like presentation that is, again, this is like pre-Hollywood. This is just from books. You know what I mean? Like, they're trying to recreate books. So think about it. You, today you could get entertained. And we're going to get into that, how TV kind of entertainment killed a lot of these things. But this was your entertainment. Like this was, it was. It, it was, it was amusement. And that's kind things of things alive. Absolutely. Yeah. 
it kind of segues us into so Coney Island, I guess I misspoke. That's one of the first amusement parks, right? Yep. One of the first theme parks, which actually has a distinction as America's first theme park. By the way, just want Luna Park burned down in '44. Okay, go. Would be uh, Santa Land. I'm sure you saw this, right? Yes, Santa Land. that one did pop up for me a lot. Right. So yeah, Santa Land is a is it has it. It's known as America. It's not called Santa Land anymore. It's still around though. It's called um, Holiday Land now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually known as America's first theme park. Yep. Basically, the originally the town was called Santa Fe, and Indiana, and selected its new name in 1850s because the post office refused to grant the borough um, another name, so they just started finding called Santa Claus. And then over the years, they started getting a whole bunch of letters from children because it's you know Santa Claus, Indiana. Yeah. So a um, bunch of volunteers and stuff basically started doing that in 1940s. They built this on a 260 acre lot of land, a amusement park called Santa Land, and it offered. Um, like a toy shop, ride designed for children, appearances by Santa Claus. And over the years, it would get more and more developed. In the 1950s, um, 80s, they added Halloween, 4th of July. Now it's called Holiday World. They added like water parks, uh, all these other things. And it's still today, it's still there. They started doing Thanksgiving as a theme in 2006. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. And it's um, the nation's first theme park. It's actually recognized as that. Hmm. Uh, that was kind of interesting in Santa Land, in Santa Claus, Indiana. There's some the, interesting uh, theme parks over the years. Did you see like there's oh, yeah. some like uber Christian religious ones? There was Holy, yeah. there was Holy Land USA, yeah. um, which was like an 18 acre theme park in Connecticut inspired by selected passages from the Bible. And it had like a chapel, stations of the cross, replicas of the catacombs. And it was pretty intense it eventually it closed down to the public in 84 because it was vandalized by a lot of people that just i guess didn't like the whole idea of having a christian holy land usa they said it reopened in 2014 for mass and other things i'm not sure if it's it's a theme park now but then there was the holy land experience which is a whole another one it was a christian-based theme park in orlando florida um it it was created by a non-profit corporation like weekly church services, Bible studies, general you know issues. But um, again, I'm not sure. And, if that's... Yeah, and, and these are theme parks because they have a theme to them. They, they're only yeah. focusing on particular, you know, a particular item, a particular idea. They're yep. going to focus just on Santa Claus or on the Bible and stuff like that. Why? And you see, a, and you see a lot of them. Things. Yeah, yeah they, like think they, think of Sea World. They were really popular in the 50s and 60s, like those roadside attractions. Yeah, Sea World's one. Yep. Um, storybook land. I know that's down, that's down in, um, Southern Jersey where it's all like the storybook characters and stuff like that. And the dinosaur, theme. dinosaur world is a chain actually, um, of theme parks that there's a bunch of those as well. And then also another chain is in, um, Bush gardens, a chain as well. I believe so. Oh, six flags is a chain. I'm wrong. We'll get yep. to six flags. But. Yeah. 
so um, Coney Island, Dreamland, so on and so forth, early 1900s, a lot of them burnt down. Then you have, uh, that was kind of like the golden age of, of theme parks. And then you have depression in post-World War II, kind of like it declines. Uh, specifically, 1930s, Great Depression. It, people don't really have much, much money per se. But really what, what makes the decline is World War II because you have rationing, you have uh, displacement of population, you have great migrations. But what happens is the war causes the creation of more of like an affluent urban society. After the war, a lot of Americans kind of move out of the cities where a lot of these earlier like Coney Island, a lot of these earlier amusement parks were located in cities where you have a trolley that would take you from one section of the city to these attractions. And now what's happening is a lot of people are moving away from the cities to the suburbs. And concurrent with that, you have the creation of television. And that becomes like the number one source of entertainment. You know, it, people and families don't really go to amusement parks on a Sunday or a Saturday. They could just put on some TV show and watch it on TV and laugh and have the entertainment. So... What starts to happen is things kind of start to, I guess, what's what I'm looking for? I mean, I don't want to say they die out, but they're just not, that, things are not really looking up People for these parks. Yeah, they're, they're finding other ways of entertainment. They don't yep. go to these places as much. They're kind of like been there, you know, been there, done that. What changes all that, obviously, is they kind of combine what they're seeing in the movies, combine what they're seeing on TV, yep. and that's obviously Disney. Absolutely. We can't talk about theme parks without Disney. Right? Obviously, it's been around since the 1920s, Walt Disney's doing all that stuff. But it was really in um, 51 is when he started coming up with this idea of a theme park. And then it finally opens in 1955. Yeah. And when it, when, when it opens, it's, you know, it's actually, didn't they broadcast it live on TV? It was like a big deal. They did. It was like a huge, and actually, that's how he got the deal. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but he couldn't afford to build Disneyland. So... I mean, today, Disneyland sees like 44,000 visitors per day. It's nuts. But at the time, he couldn't necessarily afford it. So he made a deal with ABC um, to help him construct. the. Because, again, he's like, look, I'm going to create these things. But then what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually create a program for you guys called Disneyland TV. And I'm going to promote my park, which is going to help me make money. And I'll be able to repay the money for you. But I'm also you're going to be able to advertise during this TV show. So he concurrently creates Disneyland TV, which is a precursor to Mickey Mouse Club and so on and so forth. He signs a basically a deal with ABC to get the money, and then he will create and host weekly television shows, which which is how he gets his. Uh... Also, if we should mention, like this is the fifties, baby boomers. Like he realizes that all right, these kids they don't have they're not old enough to drive or have a family car or anything like that, but they're the ones that really drive family spending. It's like, oh, I want to go to this frontier land. Oh, I want to go to this. Oh, Davy Crockett. I want to yeah, see Davy Crockett yeah, land. Yeah, Davy Crockett, Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse. They see him on yep. TV. They want to meet these characters in their life. They want to go to Cinderella's cat, you know, do all that stuff. Yep. And the park drew what they said over a million visitors in the first 10 weeks, which is a huge amount of money. It still had a different type of model than what it has today as far as when it comes to money. It was $2.50 yep. to get in. And that allowed you to ride eight rides. So you could pick any eight rides to go on for that price. Yep. The first one that introduced the idea of one price, all the rides go for it was actually uh, Six Flags, which we'll get to in yep. a little bit. Yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit. Because for Disney, there was you. you first of all, it was like you know you pay as you go. Every every time you went to a yeah. different ride, you had to pay. For, you got this little yeah. booklet, and then you ran out of your booklet, and you had to pay. Then metal. they came. Then they came out with this idea like the booklets were better. So you got this different. There was A tickets, B tickets, and C tickets initially in the fifties. 
Um, so each rides like they were labeled, like you, you're, you know, the e-ticket, which was used on the biggest and most elaborate ride, like Space Mountain, that was the e-ticket. So you probably got like one e-ticket and you got a couple of D tickets and the most you got was a tickets, which are like little rides. So what was cool is you could actually use the smaller tickets could be traded up on a larger ride. So for example, you could like use three A tickets would equal one B ticket or so on and so forth, you know, so you could use that in Magic Kingdom, um, Eventually, this this becomes like a big deal when Walt Disney creates Walt Disney World um, in Florida, which actually never sees completed. He he passes away before uh, before that's completed. But eventually, they abandoned his pay as you go stuff in in 1982. Yeah, this seems confusing, like to be honest. Like right, you get so many tickets, and you're you know people. It's okay, are I got a, I got two B tickets. Uh, I'll trade you for <laughs> like yeah, people no. are going to drop them and lose them. Even those carnival ones that come around here, they're kind of abandoning the whole ticket system too. You can get like a wristband now. You right? get a wristband now. Yep, they're a little late to the show, but uh, you're right. Because I mean, even now, like I, it makes sense to buy a wristband when you're on the carnival show. It just it does it just does. I mean, you can't yeah, afford yeah. it all the time, but yeah, it makes sense. Kids, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess after Disney, I mean, things obviously pick up. People are like, okay, theme connected to entertainment. You have yeah. TV, you have movies. So let's bring that into this um, entertainment. So it's almost like an extension of entertainment that people see on television or, you know, or in the movies. But what, what's going on with Six Flags here? What do you got for Six well, Flags? Well, they start in August 1st, 1961. Um, it's basically Six Flags Over Texas is the first one. Um, obviously, you mm. mentioned we're from New Jersey. We just we don't keep that. Up. I've been to the Texas one though. I, I actually have been to that one. When I, I always Texas. mention that to my students. You know, there's a reason why it's called Six Flags. You know, Six Flags Good Adventure. It's be Six Flags Over Texas, and it because originally it was based on um, the theme was Texas history. Yep, that's what it was. And there were six flags that flew over Texas at one point. And I always, I would always be like an extra credit question for my students, like name all the six flags that flew over Texas. Like what? Nah. what? And they always, they always would miss one or two. But um, yeah, basically this was big because visitors paid a single price for admission. And you got all the attractions, any shows, any um, rides, that's it. The only thing you had to pay for was food and souvenirs. That was like the extra, the extra money that, that you paid for. And each section of the park originally focused on a different, um, one of the six cultures that shaped the state. So you had ones that focused on France, Spain, Mexico, the Confederacy, which would obviously not go over not fly today. very well today, um, rightfully so, and the um, consistently evolving American culture of Texas itself. And the rise in attractions reflected Texas heritage, industry, um, Spanish culture, like you said, like oil rides, things like that. And it was the world's largest regional theme park um, yep. for a long time. And then, yeah, there's over 30 properties in North America just of uh, Six Flags. Yep, yep, yep. It's like smaller ones too, not just six. It's like um, sub sub six flags kind of type of things. So this opened initially in '61, right? Yeah, '61. Yeah, and I always remember that. That was the place I always went in the summer. So it was always six. Well, flags. yeah, because Jersey. They say today Six Flags features like ten different themed areas. Um, you have Batman, like Goth- Gotham City, and there's like a Justice League 4D ride. Um, of course, you have the kids younger, like USA and Bugs Bunny. I'm curious when they got together with the whole Bugs Bunny. Warner Brothers. Yeah, I was Warner like, Brothers I, I, that was I later on. Anything. Yeah, that definitely came when that was like their way to compete with Disney. Because they had like, right. Disney has like a little, like the Bugs Bunny, um, like the Disney land for like the little kids. And they had Bugs Bunny land for like the, I think it was more like, that was more in the 80s, I believe. So yeah, and, and that's kind of from Disney revolutionized it. Six Flags made it more accessible through its ability to basically pay one price and you go in. Which is really people, why you... people love that. People love that. It was Absolutely. just okay. I might pay a little bit more, 
right? I'm paying a little bit more, but I can go on any ride I want. I can go on any show I want. I don't have to worry about kind of, I can just budget for that. And then, all right, if I need to get food and stuff, fine. And they have like food packages, which they always have now. And obviously Disney does that too now. It's like a whole. And we should mention that when it comes to like, you know, Six Flags, there's one roller coaster that to this day stands above the rest. Um, the greatest heights, there's only one roller coaster that can't, it can't be topped. And that's the King of Ka at Six Flags Great Adventure. It still is the biggest one. That's still the biggest one. The yeah, world's tallest roller coaster since 2005. It's a little crazy, right? It's always broken. It's broken. It is always broken. I would never go on that. But you know what really gets me now? We're talking about like one price to get in all that stuff. Just being in Universal, right? It, you know, we got the fast pass because, again, we were like, we're just going to spend a day here. I don't feel like waiting in lines. But the disparity of how much money it costs to get these fast passes. And then you feel so bad. Like I generally felt bad when there's this humongous line and I just like walk past everyone. Right. Isn't another line. Isn't another line for the fast pass. No, the fast, but like there was like two minute wait versus like an hour wait. Well, it depends how many people buy it. Right. But I guess. Well, now I guess because of COVID they limit how many people they, you know, are in the park regardless. But I just felt so bad. Like basically money dictates like how much fun you could have at these places, which, which I think it's, it's almost like there's this dichotomy, this disparity from what it was initially meant to be. It's like, oh, it's all access for everyone, you know, one price. But now they're changing that again, even though it's one price to get in. It's really not because it costs it's one me price double. to get in, go on the rides, but then another one if you want to, you yeah. know, go on the rides fast because you're going to get a more ride piece. If you're going to go on those bigger rides, you're going to wait sometimes, what, two, three hours sometimes, right? At least an hour yep. in some That's of these rides. Great. And it's going to limit what you can really go on. So, but yes. Moving, moving forward. Moving forward. I mean, I think, I mean, that kind of brings us to the modern, you know, future. I mean, and another thing, the future of amusement parks, a lot of them are incorporating so much more digital stuff, you know, 3D rendering, digital glasses, 3D this, 3D that. I felt like most of the rides I went on had an aspect of 3D. So much bigger and faster they can make these rides too. Yeah. Like like these thrill rides, like the roller coasters or like the kingdom. If they make it too much more intense, you're going to see people you know, getting seriously hurt, which does happen a lot of these rides. And you've heard stories of some of these like rides where things have happened. You know, there's one um, engineer who actually designed a roller coaster called the death coaster to see like, they never actually built it. Yeah. I would never go on that. No, they never actually built it. It's just a design to see how dangerous of a roller coaster they could actually make. Like with all these loops and stuff that basically no human being would be able to survive it with all the G forces and stuff like that. Wow. So let's talk about some fun facts about, uh, you know, amusement parks. I was I mean, basically talking about how people go. One that I saw come up, pop up a lot is that they're talking about how people fake injuries at these amusement parks all the time. I'm sure you saw that. Yeah, and that they mentioned, you know, they say oh, they got whiplash and they're going to sue. And I guess a lot of these amusement parks actually have a policy that you can go and complain fine, but as soon as you mention that you're going to sue or lawsuit or lawyer, then they call security instantly. Not that they're going to pull you out of the park, but they just they don't want the employees talking to you about that. And it's a lot harder than you think. These insurance, these amusement parks have a lot of liability. You pretty much agree to pretty much give a sign away a lot of your rights by buying a ticket and going into these. You have to read the fine print at these places. Wow. Do you see the one at Disneyland since 1950s is overrun by like feral cats? Like they just have a cat problem. There's just random wild cats running around. Apparently it started in the 50s in the Sleeping Beauty's castle and nobody could figure out how to get rid of the cat problem um, without like causing an uproar. So they started feeding these cats. And that's, that's how they that's more. how they take care of like rodents. But apparently at night, if you're in Disneyland to this day, there's like a cat problem. 
I didn't know that. I mean, obviously, I'm not really there in the middle of the night when they shut their thing down, but I thought I was. Well, speaking of Disney, I saw another one, and this one's probably it's well known, but whatever, but not as much, I guess. Any, it's not there anymore. Is that when um, Pirates of the Caribbean first opened, they actually had real skeletons. I saw that it was a real. And, there was real actual, skulls in there. Actual human beings trying to make it like as believable as possible, and yeah. then eventually, when that got out, people kind of like got upset and they wanted to give these skeletons proper burials and stuff like that. So they. They brought him back, so it's not there anymore. But um, actually, it was a case for a long time. There's also an amusement park, like not really too much into roller coasters in Minnesota, where you could drive a tank. That's one of the rides. You could drive an actual tank. This one was cool, though, and it kind of deals with Disney a little bit. Theme Park um, is the second biggest explosives buyer in the United States. So apparently, fireworks are. That's probably why they're illegal. It, it makes states. sense when you think about it, though. Yeah, they're considered explosives. That's how the United States federal government classifies fireworks as explosives. Yeah. So well, Disney World is the second biggest buyer of explosives in the United States, right after the United States government. Um, they say that supposedly, like it's top secret, so we don't really know exactly how much they spend. But the estimates. Um, from some sources say that they spend about $45,000 to $50,000 per show each night. That's insane. Wow. That's insane. There's another um, interesting fact. Amusement Park in Ohio, um, Cedar Point, every year they collect all the change that falls out of people's pockets. And I always see, like, you see random things just like... Oh, they always fall out. Those, like, always fall out, out, right? Uh, well, this is kind of cool. The Cedar Point Amusement Park in Ohio, they collect all that change every single year. And they always make, make thousands of dollars, and they always donate it to some charity, which That's I thought nice. was kind of cool. Well, speaking of roller coasters and stuff, I saw that um, roller coasters actually date back. They're thinking all the way back to, um, what was her name, Catherine the Great, because they believe that she, she actually had roller coasters or things similar to roller coasters, um, boarded in a vehicle, you know, rolled down sloping hills in the um, Russian Imperial Summer Palace in the late 18th century. And they say that historians argue that she got that idea from 16th century ice sleds that were really mm. popular in the region during the colder months. So that, you know, the roller coasters is not like a necessarily new idea. It's been around for a long time. You know, they get better, they improve, but they've been around for a long time, that, that concept. Wow. That's kind of crazy how long, right? Yeah. Talk about roller coasters and, and length of time. I also read somewhere that a lot of them, it's so much cheaper to dismantle and reuse older roller coasters um, than design new ones with the amount of track that's out there. So a lot of these things are, you know, under like second, third, or fourth lives. Like they basically, I mean, they change the ride, but they use the same roller coaster, like track. It's kind of scary if you think about how, how long. Yeah, they've been Ugh. there forever. The most expensive roller coaster to build in the world is actually not the tallest or the fastest. It is the Everest expedition at Disney world in Florida. Um, the paint apparently it was like painstaking to recreate Mount Everest in miniature. And the final cost of the ride was a hundred, a little over a hundred million dollars for a ride. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, I right? saw like um, the longest one is actually in, in um, Japan and it took uh, $50 million um, to build it. Um, but it's a safe ride. It's called the Nashigama Spa Land, and it's called the Steel Dragon. And it's a huge, um, it's the longest roller coaster in the world. I saw that. that it would try to compete with them is the, uh, what do you call it? Ferrari World in yeah. Abu Dhabi. And uh, Ferrari World is actually a, a theme park that just 
theme is Ferraris. Um, so it makes sense that they're trying to compete to have the world's fastest roller coasters. They have this ride called Formula Rosa, and it can go from zero to 150 miles per hour in five seconds because it has like some special hydraulic launch system. Like I would just puke. Yeah, that's why so people get sick. They would just be, um, they would just get sick really, really fast. And he said a lot of these roller coasters, theme parks, actually have codes for when that when that happened. They actually have codes for when people get sick. Like the code for vomit is code V. The code for guest yeah. illness at Disneyland is ten dash five A. So that's what you would hear these people talking about them, and uh, that would be like the code for different illnesses that people would see. But I actually did read that people don't get sick on roller coasters as much as you think. That one, they said one reason why people do get sick is because they're all the um, junk food and stuff that they're eating hmm. and then going on. That makes sense. The ride. That's actually how they got sick, but it's, they don't get so sick as much as you think on these rides. Well, talk about food and, and amusement parks. Uh, this, shortly after Disneyland opened in 55, a restaurant within Disneyland created the first ever Doritos. Um, it was an effort to prevent food waste by tossing out all the unused tortillas. They Doritos were actually invented at, um, at Disneyland in 55. Ha. Huh. See, that's a fun fact. Yeah, there's a ton of them. Also, last one. I don't know if last one, but yeah, Tomorrowland in 1955's original Disneyland was actually depicting the world of tomorrow. Um, the future was 1986. So yeah, we are well into the future. Anyway. What I, it just, it's the oldest roller coaster. Still in use in the United States, it's 117 years old. Yeah, I don't know if I would it's go in, on that. It, well, they've updated over the years. It's in a theme park in Lakemont Park in um, Atatuna, Pennsylvania, and it's home. It's called the Leap T Dips. It's a wooden figure eight roller coaster, and it was first opened in 1902. Um, and more than 70% of it is actually the original wood, and it's still there today. It's a well, oldest talk about roller, roller coasters. Coaster. So the first roller coasters, I, we forgot to mention this, uh, were actually perfected as mine tracks for, for mining. Um, so a mine that is now in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, which you, you've been to, I've never been there, uh, created a gravity railroad for moving coal. So what it did is it would basically, the idea was to move the coal down, they would create this up, down, up, down. They created like a basically a modern roller coaster to bring yeah, down to it, coal so- keep it slowly. Moving, right? with, the, with the motion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, with gravity. Um, and then a lot of these miners sort of hopping on that to get down at the end of the day. And then people started paying for this opportunity to go on these, on these roller, well, not roller coasters, but these mine coasters, mine carts. And that's kind of how you had someone came up with the idea of like, all right, well, we can make money here. And that turned into a roller coaster. There you go. Anyway, I, I, I think that's pretty, that's pretty, that, that's yeah, good. I think we touched, we touched on some points. We gave a little bit of information, a little bit of the history, history. A, a little bit of the ones. If you want to go to a 117 year old roller coaster, now you know where to go. Yep. Yep. You know? That was good. That was a nice, lighthearted one. All right. Well, I guess we got to come back with some like history, history, hardcore history next week. This is it's, history. This is all history. It's history teachers talking. It, it's Amer- it's Americana also. That's I mean, right. who, I, they go, it's part of Amer- American life that you go to amusement park or these carnivals, you know, and where they came from, how they evolved is interesting. Like anything yep. else. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in once more. We really appreciate it. If you ever need to contact us, uh, please feel free to do so at historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. And we are getting a lot of great ideas. Uh, We are writing all them down. We're putting them in our queue. And uh, hopefully you will see some of your ideas somewhere down the line coming up. So 
anyway, thanks so much, guys. Enjoy this week, and I'll see you guys next week. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.